This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's grabbing out there. Nobody's them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Welcome to the Coaches Show Podcast. Brian Billick here with Steve Mariucci to recap week seven in the NFL. Did the Colts show the rest of the league how to stop Peyton Manning? We'll also take a look at the difficult situations at quarterback for the Bears, Rams, and Eagles. Plus, Panthers head coach Ron Rivera stops by to discuss Cam Newton, Steve Smith, and the team's top-notch defense. The Coaches Show podcast starts now. Well, Mooch, boy, there's so much to talk about in a short time to do it. Let's start with the game on Sunday night, the Broncos and the Colts. Of all that, the thing I was most impressed of, impressed about, it was Indianapolis's ability on third down to get Peyton Manning off the field. They've been converting better than 50% on the year. They held him to about 30% on the night. We're only 5 of 16. Well, it starts with the pressure on the quarterback because Peyton Manning was under duress most of the night. Now, he still threw for 380 yards and three touchdowns. But I was really impressed with the Colts' defensive plan a lot of man-to-man coverage across the board, which was really gutsy now because they have some, the Broncos have some nice receivers. In fact, they might have three or four guys go for 1,000 yards. But Robert Mathis was the key because he applied pressure, a couple of sacks, and a lot of hurries. Peyton Manning was sacked more times in this game than he's been in, the, in his last six years. And I don't, I'm not buying into the talk. People are saying, well, it's Peyton Manning. It's a big game. Is he choking? I can't use the word choke for a guy that's thrown for over 60,000 yards and better than 460 touchdowns, I think that's discrediting what Indianapolis was able to do, both defensively and offensively. Andrew Luck was brilliant. He had control of the game, his ability inside and outside the pocket. I think it was just Indianapolis at home playing an excellent game against obviously a good uh, Denver Bronco team, but I, I wouldn't discredit Indianapolis that way. Yeah, and it, let's just put it this way. It was a great football game, and it was a great the drama before the game, and it was, it was a great tribute to Peyton. And the, the whole week was fantastic, and it, and it lived up to its billing. Let's just give credit where credit is due. It was a hard-fought game. Peyton played well enough to win that game. They fumbled going in at the end on the two-yard line. There were some takeaways by the Colts, uh, you know, and then, of course, Andrew Luck, who didn't throw for as many yards as Peyton did, Certainly was efficient, made some plays with his legs. We don't, we don't think about him as a running quarterback very often, but, boy, can he do that. And so, hey, great football game, 39-33. to 33. And my guess, Brian, is these two teams will meet again. Yeah, although I am worried about the loss of Reggie Wayne for Indianapolis. Mm. I mean, he is obviously <laughs> the, the uh, uh, comfort or the, the security blanket for Andrew Luck to now have that gone. They've got other things that will step in, but – uh, and he'll be able to go to other guys and manufacture plays. But like some of the, you know, whether it's uh, uh, Tom Brady losing all the receivers that he's had, and we see, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay having to adjust. Andrew Luck is going to have to adjust now because he's lost maybe his best single receiver in Reggie Wayne. You know, Brian, and, and, and after the game, too, in a, in a press conference, Andrew Luck not only has to handle this uh, with replacements and figure out how they're going to, you know, disperse the football around without his primary target. But he's got to get over it because he blamed himself. He said, it's my fault that he hurt his knee. I threw a bad pass. And, and you know, things like that happen. But Andrew Luck's got to get over that and say, this is, 
you know, this is what happens in football and shake it off and move on because they're a very good team. But I was really impressed with Andrew Luck and, and you know, how he handles the, the media questions. And, and uh, <clears throat> there's two peas in a pod, Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. Boy, a lot of similarities. Yeah, how lucky are the people in Indianapolis to go through 14 years of Peyton Manning, and now they get maybe 14, 15 years of Andrew is this, Luck. That, is this a little bit like Joe Montana going to Steve Young, and that's that? how a team just keeps winning? I, you know, this could be, very well be like that. That's 30 years of quarterback. I'd like to have 30 quarters of that kind of quarterback. You and I'd still be coaching if we had that kind of quarterback play uh, for just one, <laughs> let alone two. That's just greedy. All right, Coach, let's move on to the Jets and Patriots. A heck of a game. Again, what jumped out to me was third down, uh, the inability of the Patriots, who, again, Tom Brady, one of the best in the league, he was one of 12. I think that was the key for the Jets upsetting the Patriots. And the Patriots, you know, had beaten them six in a row, and and I, I, they probably felt pretty good at halftime. The Patriots were up 21 to 10 and in control of that game. And then that big pick six by Antonio Allen really got the Jets back in the game, Brian. But, you know, we, we say it all the time. The, a young quarterback's best friend is a good defense, and Rex does have a good defense. And they ran the ball for 177 yeah. yards. That helped them stay in that game and then win it right at the end. Yeah, you're right, and that running game was huge. And again, and, and Geno Smith, like we've said, at the end of the day, is going to have rookie-like numbers at the end of the year. Maybe is if he's lucky, a few more touchdowns than interceptions, probably under yeah. 60% completions. But again, this is against the Patriots, the biggest rivalry they have. The game didn't look too big for him, and I'm becoming more and more impressed with his ability that this is not too big a job for him. I know it. I like what Marty Morningwood's doing with him. You know what's impressing me about the kid is he's a better runner now than he was in college. Remember watching him for the draft? He was a little hesitant to run. He, he wanted to be that passing quarterback, and he seldom ran with the ball. Now it looks like he's doing it when he needs to, when he should, ran for a nice little touchdown over there. And I, I've been impressed with him because he, you know, he's kind of a level-headed kid kind of nothing's way up or way down. And uh, you're, you're going to get those kind of performances out, out of any rookie. But, but so far, so good with Geno Smith overall. And I know you're kind of Mr. Rules here. Talk to me about, because you were talking earlier uh, off camera, we were talking about, you have some questions about, about this rule at the end of the game that basically <laughs> oh. didn't cost them the game because it still would have been tied. But this, uh, this uh, penalty that happened on the field goal team that, I can't say I've ever heard it, seen it called before. It's a new rule. I, it, look, at I stole these glasses from Gail. Anyway, um, it says on the rule here, it says Team B players, that, that's the defense, right? Team B players not on the line of scrimmage at the snap cannot push players on, on the line of scrimmage, you know, to block the kick. And that's what happened. But so I call up Mike Carey, you know, at, you know that's what we do when we have a question. We call somebody we know. Mike Carey says, that's not what the rule should say. There, there's been a clarification. Nobody can push anybody. <laughs> and so I'm faxing him this. I want to make sure right. they get this rule change in there because nobody's supposed to push and aid any kind of rusher. We know that, that you can't overload a side anymore because of safety reasons. Well, six on a side. But this came from the other side on the push. Cost them the game, let's face it. I knew those, I knew those officials had a different rule book than you and I had. I've been I'm accusing that this forever. To Mike Carey. Yeah, Mike's probably watching. And uh, I'm going to fax this to him. We always got a different interpretation. No, 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 that's not in my rule book. Well, can I have a copy of your rule book, please? Because the one I'm operating with 
says this or that doesn't happen. So, uh, but one thing that was good to see, obviously, the, the immediately uh, Tom Brady got used to having Gronkowski back because he went right to him, particularly in critical situations. 17 times he threw the, bat, the ball over at Gronk. And uh, he, he had a lot of catches. He was productive. How about the last catch, though? That last, he dropped it. One hand, boom! Game would be over if he made that catch. And, and he usually does make that catch. So, hey, another heck of a game. You can, you can blame the loss on a lot of different things here and there. But um, it was a tough loss for the Patriots, but a good win for Rex. Well, as we occasionally get to do on the Coaches Show, we get to actually talk to a real active coach instead of two old uh, over-the-hill coaches like you and I. You and I had a chance to catch up with Ron Rivera after a big win by his Carolina Panthers. And the ball downfield, and it's going to be intercepted. Still on his feet and in for the touchdown. What a start. The athleticism and the size of this defensive line of the St. Louis Rams is what Jeff Fisher is counting on. And Carolina may have it. And here is Tolbert going in. And the Steve Smith show underway here. Coach Rivera, uh, Appreciate you joining us. I, I got to start with this. I've had you three times this year, and you're collectively three and zero. You've scored 103 points and only given up 25. What exactly am I doing to help the Carolina Panthers as much as I evidently am? Uh, showing up, I guess, Coach. You know, uh, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if I find out you're going to be there next week too. So, hey, do whatever you can. Yeah, I got, I got you a couple more times coming up. Uh, it being at the game, obviously, it was a very feisty game. There was a lot going yes. on. I think your team kind of comported themselves pretty good. But right in the front of the line was Steve Smith. And we know how he can stir things up. Talk about how you deal with the Steve Smith to make sure that you keep that on your side of the ledger and that doesn't spin out of control for your team. You know, for the most part, Steve has an understanding, has a feeling for it. You know, this is 13th year in the league. And I, I think he understands that there is that fine line that, that he, he doesn't really get to the point where he crosses it, thank goodness. Um, and one thing is, he's a very competitive guy. He'll do what he can to help the team. He's, gonna do, he's not going to do anything that's going to hurt the team. So that's the thing you like about Steve. Hey, Ron, Billick won't be at the game, but I'll be there on Thursday <laughs> night for you, okay? So that's a good, healthy right. substitute, right? Listen, let's <laughs> well, talk about on. Cam. <laughs> let's talk about Cam Newton. Because over the last couple of games, he is playing elite status as a quarterback in this league. Talk about his development under Mike Shula and where he's headed right now. Well, you know, the thing, it also goes back to, to, to three of the last four games, he has played very, very consistent. And, and probably the biggest thing that, you know, you see is that we, we, we've taken some things that, that he does very well. And we've used those elements early in the game. And, and it's, it's one of those rhythm things that, you know, passers get into, runners get into well. With him, it's a combination, and, and, and they've done a really nice job with the play calling. And the other thing, too, is some of the things that we do are the things that he's most comfortable with. Uh, the nice thing that, that's been happening is, is Cam's been really involved also with the game planning. He comes in on Tuesdays. They sit down. They go through the list. He brings a list. They talk about what he's most comfortable with. Uh, come Wednesday after practice, they talk about what he did like and didn't like, and then Thursday, same thing. So, he gets a little bit uh, more involved in terms of helping to make decisions as to what's going to be play called. So I think that's been a big part of his maturation process that he has gone through. You know, part of that, Ron, is, as I've watched your games, is you've gone through a little bit of a transformation. You've become a little more aggressive, I think, sizing up 
particularly in fourth down situations, you've mm -hmm. got certain talents to, uh, on your team to take control of the game and all the games, whether it's New York, Washington, and all these games, you did some things that were very aggressive. Is that part of it as well in terms of changing the mindset of what you want your offensive team to be? Very much so. You know, it's interesting because we do have, like you said, we have playmakers, guys that do certain things very, very well. We might as well take advantage of it. And that's kind of been the thought, that process I've gone through. Everybody would just say, hey, you've gone through the book. You, or, you've gone by the book. You're playing it by the book. But think about it. Is there really a book and who's written that book? So as far as I'm concerned, I, I go through a checklist of about 19, 20 things before each game and talk about situations to myself that I would want to do certain things. Third and short, fourth and short. Uh, when's the best opportunity to go for, uh, you know, uh, a fake, stuff like those. So I've really tried to look at those opportunities even more so. And, and again, probably the truth of the matter is not be as conservative uh, and play it by the book. Ron, over the last few years when we as analysts uh, start talking about the top defenses in the National Football League, they talk about the Steelers or the Ravens mm -hmm. or the Niners or whoever, we didn't bring up the Carolina Panthers, and all of a sudden, very quietly, mm -hmm. your defense, ranked third overall, second in scoring defense, is becoming one of those very, very good, competent defenses. Talk about the development of this young defense and, and your play so far this year. Well, you know, really, it's, it began last year. You know, we finished in the top ten last season in, in a lot of the categories. But this year, some of the things that's really come out and have really shown for us is, you know, our takeaways, our interceptions, our, our play at third down. A lot of those little detail things that we're starting to really focus in on. And a big part of it also has to have a lot of credit has to go to the play of our two linebackers, for the most part, in, in Luke Keekley and, and, and Thomas Davis. Those two guys have really been outstanding. And then what has helped us has been the emergence of our defensive line. Those two young tackles we drafted in the, in, in the first and second round, both have really stepped up, and then that has helped to improve the outside uh, play of our two defensive ends. So a lot of it does start up front, and then the linebacking core has really been solid, and we're getting great play out of our safeties right now as well. You know, Ron, obviously it's always one game at a time, and you're chasing a pretty good New Orleans team in your own division. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously you've got yourself going pretty good here. Obviously you, got, you want to stay close. You've got two division games coming up. You're, you're trying to chase New Orleans. Do you also, though, talk to your team to remind them that it's not just winning the division, which you can still clearly do, mm -hmm. but you know what? If not, we can make a run at this wild card spot. Oh, most certainly, because one of the things that we have talked about is that it, you just want to get in. If you can get into the tournament, you've got a chance to win the tournament. So, again, we're going to play it one game at a time. We're not going to get ahead of ourselves. And as you said, this is a division game. We've got a chance to go 1-0 in the division, and then next week we've got another division game. So, but we will most certainly take it one at a time. This Thursday is as big a game as we'll play this year because it's the next one we play. Coach, thank you for joining us, and uh, I've got your game in two weeks. Uh, Mooch is going to see you this Thursday. <laughs> I will I've got, you. I got you in got you two covered. weeks. If you, uh, if you beat uh, Atlanta when I'm doing it, I definitely expect a check on Monday morning. <laughs> hey, most certainly then. See you on Thursday, Ron. All righty. We'll see you, Mooch. Uh, it's always great to be able to talk to the coaches directly, Mooch. Let's move on. Um, Quarterback-driven league, we've said that a million times. Over a third of the teams in the NFL have had to go to their backup quarterback. I mean, the list is it's Philly, Chicago, Minnesota, Tampa, St. Louis, Cleveland. The list goes on and on. Let's talk a little bit about what it is to prepare and have your backup quarterback go in and be your guy. First, the game they go first go into 
it, it, you're just lucky if you can get out of the game because they've taken no snaps as the starter. They've done nothing but prep the other team. So you really can't hold them accountable for the way they played when they got inserted into the game. But let's talk about preparing that guy now that that backup is going to be your starter. Yeah, and you watch the Cowboys-Eagles game and Nick Foles, who was their backup to Michael Vick, who's hurt, uh, he gets hurt and he shouldn't have been hurt because he should have threw the ball away sooner so he didn't take that hit. Uh, near the sidelines. So all of a sudden, Matt Barkley, Brian, you mentioned it. He's been running the scout team. Hold up a card. This is what you do. He doesn't get any reps with that offense. And so maybe he did in training camp or OTAs or a little bit way back when. Uh, that's why you always kind of hope and pray that you can have a backup quarterback who's kind of a veteran, somebody that's played and started before so he doesn't have to be what we call a rep guy where he needs to practice every single play in order to, to you know, get on the field because of an emergency. And we're seeing a lot of quarterbacks go down. Jay Cutler now is going to be out for a month. And uh, Sam Bradford now, unfortunately, is going to be out now. And, and so we do all we can to protect quarterbacks. Can't hit them in the knees. You can't hit them in the head. You can't hit them, you know. And, and yet it's still a physical game where guys get hurt on t- at times. And, and that backup is so darn important. Let's talk about two of those teams because you talked about Jay Cutler in Chicago. We don't know how long he'll be out with that groin injury. Sam Bradford out for the year, uh, regrettably, for St. Louis. Both these guys. Cutler's on a contract year. Now, Bradford's just another year from it. But this was a time for both these organizations to decide, are they going to go forward with these guys? They'd like to, but certainly Mark Tressman coming in, and, and he hadn't been with Cutler long enough. To, we'll see how long he's out of it. Obviously, with Jeff Fisher and Les Snead, the general manager, they bought Sam Bradford, so to speak, when they decided to trade away the second overall pick, not take RG3. And, and so they weren't responsible for drafting Sam Bradford, but they are for keeping him. Got a whole boatload of players, four or five starters uh, for them, but they may be unsettled at the quarterback position because I don't know that Sam Bradford can definitively say, yes, he is definitely our guy going forward. We'd like to. We know he's had multiple coordinators and not a great supporting cast, but the injuries to these two guys is going to be put these clubs in dangerous situations in terms of how they need to evaluate going forward on a year that looks like there's a lot of good college quarterbacks coming out. Yeah, that's the key. There, there will be a, several good quarterbacks coming out in the draft. And then the other guy that we didn't mention just now, Michael Vick, is on his last year of his contract too. And these teams have to decide, do we spend $100 million? And that's what the going rate is for elite quarterbacks in the league. And if I'm with the Bears, with this new regime, uh, I think the jury's still out on Jay Cutler. I like Jay Cutler a lot, but maybe they're doing the old Joe Flacco thing where you let him play it out, see how far he takes us, we'll decide then. Because if he doesn't come back healthy and play well after he comes back, you know, they're not going to pay him that kind of money. It'd be too risky to do that. Uh, same with Sam Bradford. They're gonna, the, the, the conversation is going to begin. When do we consider a new contract or not? And unfortunately, that can be next year for him. It's such a huge decision, Brian. It's uh, when you spend a lot of money like that on your starting quarterback, that's using up a lot of scholarships on one guy. And so uh, we'll see how it plays out. I don't think any decisions have been made just yet on any of these three guys, Vic, Cutler, or Sam Bradford. Yeah, and you could throw uh, who we're going to see, Josh Freeman, now the starter in Minnesota. They move on from Christian Ponder, Matt Castle. He's on a one-year contract. 
So basically it was, okay, we'll see how you do this year and see how he goes the rest of the year. And, and again, last year you didn't see this as much. Why? Because it wasn't a good quarterback draft. Ended up being one guy. E.J. Manuel came out in the first round. Geno Smith fell to the second round. But you're talking about Bridgewater at, at Louisville. You're talking about Hunley at UCLA. You're talking about Boyd at Clemson, Mariota at Oregon. There's some quarterbacks, and there'll be some other names that come up that are Look beginning you. to you're play already, well. You're already preparing for the draft. Bill. I'm ready for our draft, right? I'm going to be ready that. for Mayock when we do our mock drafts this time. But it's a year <laughs> where there seems to be some options, and that's going to add to the complexity of these teams deciding, you know what, is this the year we change gears and, and go and get one of these guys? And you know as well as I do that the, back a few years when the first pick was so expensive, Sam Bradford, uh, so expensive. Yeah, and, and now it's not like that. Uh, drafting in the first round is more cap-friendly by far. And so teams are going to say, hmm, take a chance on a guy who's been injured for $100 million, or let's start fresh with a healthy young guy for right. four or five million dollars a year, do the math, and so and so it'll be interesting. Where where general they have big decisions to make right now yeah. with some of these veteran quarterbacks who are hurt versus drafting a new guy, and that's how you end up end up taking a Jake Locker with the eighth pick, a Blaine Gabbert in the tenth pick, Christian Ponder with the twelfth pick, Ryan Tannehill with the eighth pick. Uh, I'm I'm with you. I'm not sure in the old system where you had to pay for that. These guys would have gotten pulled up into the first round. And then last year we saw the reaction going, oh, we're not going to do that again. So everybody gets pushed back to the second round. They take E.J. Emanuel. But now because of need, we may see him pull back up into that top 15, you know, top 10 pick as well. So uh, obviously uh, we had a great session here. It's kind of abbreviated coaches podcast. Uh, But what's your biggest takeaway? Again, I always love asking you this because you sit there on Sunday. You get to see all the games. I'm kind of locked into my game. I try to catch up on Mondays. But you get to see it played out live. What jumped out at you about this last weekend? Here's what I'm looking at in this, in this National Football League. And because we never know. We never know where things are going to head. And right now we're sitting at the only undefeated team in the league, the Kansas City Chiefs, Brian, were the worst team in the league last yeah. year with the first pick in the draft. They were 2-14. and 14. Did that flip over or what? And all of a sudden, they're the last you know, undefeated team. And, and uh, there are a lot of reasons, but it, simply the fact that it's so hard to predict from game to game, from year to year, who's going to be good. Yeah, I tell you what's jumped out at me is all but in week seven, I'm waiting to see that team that I can really jump on the bandwagon, and I'm talking as we get into the playoffs, and we're a ways from that, that shows me, you know what, I can take this thing on the road. We all know how Denver can be at home, Seattle will be at home, San Francisco in that dome in New Orleans, but I want to see if Seattle can go on the road to beat San Francisco. Can San Francisco go on the road to beat New Orleans? Can New Orleans go on the road and beat a Green Bay? Can Green Bay go on the road and beat a Seattle? Same thing in the AFC. We're already seeing a Denver team pretty darn good. We're going to find out about them. Can Kansas City go on the road and beat Denver? And then two weeks later, can Denver go on the road to beat Kansas City? That team that gets that home road advantage via the playoffs, I want to see that team that I can believe, you know what, I think they can go into that place and win. That's the team I'm going to put my money on. You know, in, in over, over time, you know, the, the home teams in the National Football League win about 60%, close to 60% of the time. 
and and it's it, that's probably different than in other sports where crowd noise and home field advantage really really is a factor in football because it's such a communicative sport uh, on every level and so the fans and the noise how about in Kansas City they got the big jumbotron with the 137 decibel sign on it and 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 so teams are trying fans are trying to be loud and crazy and really make it rough especially on these young quarterbacks so yeah it's it's going to be fun to watch we're just getting started with this with yeah, this how about season that? We're- we're not even the halfway point, but uh, we're getting close. We're closing in on it. Well, that's going to do it for the Coach and Show podcast. I want to thank Head Coach Ron Rivera for joining us, uh, and uh, we're going to try to do this as often as we can. I want to thank you for the listeners. Make sure you come back and check us out next week. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, and we'll be back next week with another version of the Coach and Show podcast.